0: hello hey John hi Dan how are you well, I'm good how are you better much better much better you've had else. a really bad couple of weeks here yeah it's
1: really really sucked for us in
0: Texas it's really been stupid and, and horrible have you been talking about it with all your other podcast hosts so you don't want to go over it again no I'll go over it again because I think if you're if
1: you're interested I'd love to talk about it because it's crazy i did talk about it with merlin but uh i think we've got a different
0: audience than that you know i feel like we're different we're different it- you're talking about the audience for Back to Work, the Back uh, to Work, the, yes, the efficiency workflow <laughs> podcast. Yeah, the productivity podcast. Productivity, that's right. <laughs> you guys talk about
1: productivity. That's
0: right. So, it well, it's hard to be theory. productive when you are uh, when you're drinking ditch water and uh, <laughs> a- and huddling around a, a, a like a butane fire in your own living room. Yes, yes. Um, trying to stay warm by by turning your car on and sitting in the garage. Yeah, that's. Um so for for people,
1: for our, our international listeners and for people who haven't heard this story already, um, there was some kind of Arctic vortex or something that came down from the north, and it affected Texas by causing us to have snow, which, you know, we have once in a while, like we've had snow already this year. and and periodically, we do get snow. It's more common in the northern parts of Texas. It's less common in Central Texas, where I'm in Austin. but it's not unheard of. Right. But the snow wasn't the problem. Uh, the hmm. problem was that we had single-digit temperatures here and all throughout the entire state of Texas, which is very, very rare, almost never happens. And what we saw, and I know that you're going to – because I know that you you enjoy uh, things like uh, national infrastructure, power grids, and things like that. Like this do. is in, in your wheelhouse. I do. I like it. <clears throat> so what happened here was a failure – across multiple different systems. In fact, across all systems.
2: <laughs> at the Failure
1: across all systems. At the same time. So here in Texas, we have coal for energy, we have nuclear, we have gas, and then we have what, what they call renewables, which include like wind turbines and solar.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And because it's so rare that things actually get really cold, like they might, we might get freezing temperatures or slightly, you know, below freezing for a very short period of time. Maybe, maybe for a, a, you know, a a eight hour period of time, like it's very rare. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, uh, I think that's why they decided whoever they are not to really winterize anything. So none of our generators, none of the wind turbines, none of the things that Would need to be winterized if they were somewhere else, like where you are, maybe, or in Philadelphia, where I grew up, or really in Michigan, anywhere that gets cold. You know, it was no big deal in in Florida, in uh, in Philadelphia, to have multiple days of below freezing temperatures and several feet of snow. Like we were set up for that. We might we might get a snow day at school or two,
0: Mm -hmm. but that's like it's it's expensive to winterize things and yeah, yeah, make them. Hardy and, yeah, sure. So instead of doing that, they just didn't do it. So
1: what (laughs) happened was this cascading failure. So the coal generators uh, froze, and the gas pipelines froze, and the wind turbines, I guess half of them or more, froze up. And also, um, nuclear, which you would expect to work, it had problems because the water supply, bringing the water to the reactor, I guess, froze maybe froze also, but then there were these sensors that stopped working. Mm
2: -mm.
1: So, uh, and and, uh, my understanding is that they had turned the solar panels a different way so they wouldn't get snow on them. So they Mm -mm. weren't producing and also it was gray skies, so they wouldn't produce anyway. So all of these things combined led to a situation where now the Texas power grid is completely separate from the rest of, for the most part, from the rest of the country. It's its own independent thing. Right.
0: And there's political reasons for that too. But yeah, bad political reasons. Bad. Oh, very bad. Having a national electrical grid is a is a useful feature. But yeah. Texas wanted to go their own way. Correct. Yeah. And I, I believe you know more
1: about that than I do. Um wow. but basically what what happened, the end result of this, was that we they had to shut down the power grid, basically, because they said they were minutes and seconds away from complete grid failure. And that if that had happened, we wouldn't have had a few days without power. We would have had months potentially with no power in Texas, not just in Austin, in Texas. It would have taken them months to bring the power grid back up like EMP level disaster. So they had to shut everything down. So now you've got a lot of people without power freezing in their homes Uh, then they say, oh, well, it looks like the gas supply is going to run out too. So don't use the gas unless you absolutely have to. Well, in my house, my water heater, my stovetop, and my fireplace are all gas. Mm. Um, So if gas ran out or there was a problem, and also what they said is if the gas runs out, it's not like the power or the water where it just comes back. They actually have to send someone to everybody's house in Texas, Mm -hmm. in the area, to reactivate it for some reason. I don't understand that, but I was like, oh, great. Then we're going to have to worry about that. Okay. Fortunately though, for some weird reason, John, I didn't lose power. When the week before, when we got some snow, uh, we lost power for 15 hours. And the week before that, when we had an ice storm, we lost power. But for some reason this time, we didn't lose power. So we had the heat and I was lucky to have all of that. But then enter the water problems. So what they tell you to do, at least here and in other Southern states, when it's going to go below freezing, they tell you to drip the water in all your faucets, um, or at least a couple of them to prevent the pipes from freezing up. Sometimes this works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've learned, but everyone in Texas, and I'll talk about Austin specifically. Now, everybody in Austin was dripping their faucets. Sure. And, at the same time, you had the mains bursting
0: yeah, as well. That's, that's fun. That's nice when that happens.
1: And so people had their pipes bursting at their homes. They had them in apartment complexes bursting. They had water heaters bursting and they had the mains bursting. That combined with the instructions that we were given to drip our faucets led to a depletion of all of the reservoirs of water. So, all of Austin's water system is completely interconnected. And what that meant, what happened was that uh, I guess what happens when you have all these mains breaking and the reservoirs being depleted is there's no pressure in the water system. So, everyone's water stopped. And mm. no one knew what was going on. We were getting no information from anyone, the water's just out. It's completely inexplicable The Austin water is not tweeting about it or sharing any information. It was really horrible.
0: Snow on the ground, freezing temperatures.
1: Yeah. Single digit temperatures living together. together. Yeah. Yeah. And so now the water's off and you know, before the water went off, I thought the water's probably going to go off now, unlike you for reasons that I will not go into at this time. Um, I did not have the kind of supply that I would normally have had. Uh, of water and other things like that. But I did have the foresight to just before the, like 15 minutes before the water went out, I filled a big container. So I knew that I, w- I would be okay for drinking water, but there's nothing to operate the toilets with. And of course you can't right. shower or get cleaned up or anything. Right. So for the next three days, I was shoveling snow into buckets and bringing them in and melting the snow into water to operate toilets. <laughs> And doing this with two kids uh, really sucks. Really, really, really sucks. Sure. They use the toilet all the time, don't they? And, you know, you can, I, tr- I, I, it doesn't, it just was not great. It was not great. And, you know, and then there's this uncertainty of like, I would hear other people who they had power and then they were losing power for some reason. And you didn't know why. And you didn't know, is the water going to come back? Is it not? It was really, really stressful and horrible and it made me truly realize john how first how fragile the infrastructure really is number 1 and number 2 how completely dependent i am or or everyone is really on these you know services that that we just completely rely on and i don't like that i don't like that mm. and i don't want to be relying on that that doesn't mean and i was telling merlin this it doesn't mean I want to live in some compound or something. No. But I want to learn how to survive this kind of thing in a much, much better situation. So I had always wanted to go into this sort of preparing for things without becoming a prepper kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I decided in the midst of this, I my my desire to do that combined with the 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 pure fury, the rage that I was experiencing at, at all of this and I decided to start the YouTube channel for um for this project where I'm going to go and meet with the with the the real survivalists and preppers and the people who are in the compounds and have them teach me everything that they know and I'm going to try to turn that into like practical advice that someone like me who wants to live in a regular house in a neighborhood in a city And not be on a compound, you know, with guns on every wall. Um, Like, how can I apply that to a situation like this where, yeah, it might suck if we're with. And the other thing was, John, I was I'm up on this hill because I'm up in hill country. We couldn't get down the hill, even though my truck has a four wheel drive. I couldn't get down the hill because there were so many crashed cars on this hill (laughs) from people trying to get up and down the hill that that the hill was covered with crashed cars. Mm. And that the, the when they did try to bring the plow or not the plow, the um the thing that puts the gravel down and the salt down, mm-hmm. when they wanted mm-hmm. to try to do that, they couldn't get up the hill because there were too many crashed cars on the hill
0: from all the mm. idiots who are like, I can
1: get down the hill.
0: Sure, I'm a Texas
1: guy. I'm a Texas guy. I'm going to take my Lexus down the hill. Mm-hmm. And then it's crashed and spun out on the side. So, like, I was trapped up on this hill, too. So, it, like, mm. I don't want to be in that situation, like, ever again. You know, it's different if you say we're going camping and you're like packed and you're prepared to not be showered for five days. Like we were not prepared for that, you know, and it really, right. really sucked. Uh, so I I disasterproof dot TV is where I'm going to be doing my my little video series. I'm going to I'm uh, travel around and learn from the wizards who know how to do this kind of thing better and make a make a little show out of it.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, <clears throat> that's exciting. And, oh. you know, that's. You don't have to be a prepper, right? And I think the I mistake that mistake that preppers make is that they think there's going to be some kind of zombie <laughs> apocalypse, <attack squad>. right? <laughs> so they they fill up their they fill up their basements with guns, right, to ward off uh, some kind of <clears throat> I don't know who they think, what they think the the um, the c- this constituency is of people who uh because they didn't prepare suddenly turn into roving bands of armed uh <laughs> you know raiders right and i think that's what it is the preppers think that they're going to you know because they're prepared their houses are going to be raided by these these gangs yeah and really you know there's a there's a big 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 gulf between having your house prepared to go between three to six weeks with no infrastructure,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, oh, right, right. Uh, that becoming a uh, Cormac McCarthy scenario, where you never, ever again have any form of civilization, and you're just, <laughs> you know, you're <laughs> right, just the like, last
1: man standing atop the yeah. pile of zombie corpses.
0: <laughs> right. Like there's there's a big, big gulf there, and you know, one of the most vulnerable parts of our infrastructure is trucking. And oh, shipping. yeah, yes, you know, we are absolutely one hundred percent dependent on the trucking network, mm-hmm. which is dependent on the availability of diesel fuel, right. And so these things, you know, these systems are fragile, and they're they're more fragile because government regulation got all shit canned mm-hmm. over the years of of deregulation right. and you know your your Texas situation where they, uh, thought they understood how to do things better and, you know, and, you know like when to, it works, know, it works really well. That's the stupid thing, yeah, you well, know? <laughs> I mean, but you know, you can't be the United States of Texas No, in the modern world. And that's the, not to say the national grid isn't also totally vulnerable. Yeah. But you know, the little things you do like the, like you can, it's not cheap to do, but you can, you know, buy a generator, mm-hmm. hook it up to your, uh, you know, to your house Mm -hmm. and have it set so that it automatically goes on when the power goes off. Right. And so if you've got enough diesel fuel or enough gas. Right. And you, and you ration it, you can have a generator that's, you know, and it doesn't make you look like a crazy prepper. It makes you look a little bit like a crazy prepper. My neighbor
1: has one of these and it runs off gas, which we have, you know, unless that freezes, we have essentially unlimited supply of that. And when you know when the power went out uh, the last time, you know I heard his generator kick on, and he's the one on in the neighborhood with like lights on, and he's like watching TV and in there hanging out, and like you know I don't know if that's grandstanding or
0: showboating, sure, but he's he's burning he's burning gas. Just yeah. check me out. Yeah, and it's like, but you know you you have some propane around, you have mm-hmm. some you have some cooking you know propane cooking stove, right. You got a bunch of food in, in your larder and it's food that you cycle through. It's not crazy pemmican, right? It's, <laughs> you know, it's your usual food. You just keep a bunch of it. You have a large pantry and you, and you eat off the top of it and you right. replenish the, 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 bottom of it. Right. I mean, it's, you know, simple, simple stuff. You know, the, 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 uh, the thought technology when you, if you know the water is going to go off. You fill your bathtub, the first thing you do. Right. Fill your bathtub right up to the brim and then you got you got all that water, which is no small amount. Right. You know but you never know, like, oh, the water's gonna switch off, so get busy. Mm-hmm. You don't you know, to keep, keep and some they didn't, water
1: I just had the, a feeling about it. That yeah. was the the only reason that we had anything. Just, but I look I forward to this YouTube series because, you know, it's, it's, um, I have so much to learn. It's like, you realize what you don't. And like, like one of the other things I said to, um, to a friend of mine, they're like, Oh, I'm really worried about my food. It's all going to go bad. I'm like, why would it go bad? Like, well, like there's no power to my fridge. I'm like, it's nine degrees outside,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> put it in a box and put it out on your, your patio yeah, or something.
2: There you go. And like, you, you can't,
1: go. you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? You, you can't, you can't put food out. It, it, it won't work. I'm like
2: yeah,
0: the wolves
1: ooh. and the zombies. And I'm like, which part of that won't work? Which part of it won't work?
0: Put it on the roof. Then yeah. only the Eagles can get it. Yeah. Well, and the Ravens. Yeah. Eagles. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Uh, and also terrible. You know, another thing out here in the, in the West, we have to contend with our earthquakes.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: much less, it's much less, a fear that a volcano is going to erupt, although that's never completely impossible, but earthquakes, I mean, right now in the middle of this podcast, the earth could begin shaking and you know, the Northwest is absolutely capable of having a nine point point four earthquake. Yeah. At which point, you know, you're talking about being up on a Hill and all the he haws, uh, create a, you know, a clusterfuck of wrecked, trucks and cars. Right. Can't get down. Right. What, a, what an earthquake reveals is how many bridges there are in a typical city, oh. particularly
1: out here. Right. You're not even thinking about it. Like an overpass, a think, bridge. A, yeah.
0: But not just overpasses and bridges, but, um, within city infrastructure, what the road people, uh, would describe as a bridge. You don't even see. You could stand. You could stand right on top of it and look all around, and you would not be aware that it was a bridge. Really, in terms of the way road designers think of it, because there's some they had to build a structure to get over a stream or an underground soft spot or a place right. that um, where they couldn't just throw down their gravel base and and build a road. Mm-hmm. So they had to build a structure that that they think of as a bridge, and it affects where they can. Re- route trolleys when they decide they're going to route route a trolley through a neighborhood. Right. You talk to these guys and they're like, well, you know, there's like four bridges on that street. We can't just throw a trolley on there. Mm -hmm. You're like, I go down that street all the time. There's no bridges. And they're like, oh, sure. This is a bridge. And that's a bridge. And all those things are vulnerable in earthquakes. And when you, when you think about it, you have a super big earthquake and even 20% of the bridges are down. You can't fucking get anywhere. Right. No. And and you would need then, you know, a uh, a truck or a dirt bike <laughs> yeah, just to get, you know, just to get from hither to thither. And especially out here, if you live on the coast and you think about an earthquake that is followed by a tsunami, uh, well, there's all this l- low-lying stuff that you're like, oh, you know, like I, now I got to get out of here and all yeah. the bridges are down, but I also have to get out of here fast. Right. And then there's a lot of stuff that you would think of as solid ground that an earthquake will liquefy. Right. Turn into, yeah. And your house and your neighborhood could all just sort of like subside or slide. Mm -hmm. So to be prepared for all that stuff, a lot of it is just mental preparation. Right. Knowing what to do or having a plan or being
1: able to. And that's the whole thing is like there were people and this is the crazy thing. Is that there were people who were like freezing to death in their homes. And when there were things that I'm not I'm not saying that 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 they were dumb or something, but I'm saying like in that kind of situation, if you had a plan going into it, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't wind up there. You know, you wouldn't yeah. wind up in a situation like that. And and there were people who didn't think about the things that they they could have done. There were people who were freezing in their house when, you know, they could have even just gathered together in the same room makes it warmer you know have yes. everyone sleep in the same room if you're if your power is out and it's five nine degrees you know put put people in the same room you you will get warmer like things like that people don't know or like i said like putting your food out side is going to preserve it like nobody should have had any food go bad because it was nine degrees outside right there's no there's no but they don't people don't even th- it's not like like to me that seemed like common sense, but it isn't for a lot of people, and it's not like I'm some genius. It just like you just think about it and you're like, "Oh, well, it's basically as cold out there as it is almost in our freezer, so I guess we can put it out there." <laughs> but Take like your that fence kind down,
0: of, and throw it in the fireplace. Do you guys have fireplaces in your homes?
1: I I do. Yeah, it's um yeah. it's a gas fireplace in in uh, my current house, but um you know, I would still I would and I did use it and I would still um if it came to it and if the gas had gone out, like, yeah, I would have put wood in there and burnt it. I don't know if you're supposed to, but I would have, because the other choice was you freeze to death. So yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to do that. And that's the other thing is like, I think people, people have, and this is, this is what I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I know that you, you are not like this, but I think people feel very, now. I, I'm very dependent on these resources that we have, but I don't have the attitude that like the government or those systems are supposed to take care of me. I don't feel that way, but I don't know why I don't feel that way. And it seems like a lot of people do. A lot of people feel like, well, you know, I pay my taxes and the, you know, the government's supposed to take care of us in this situation or the the people are supposed to help us. And I always have this attitude of like, you got to help yourself. You know, mm. you've got to be prepared to help yourself. Even if you're like, I was totally unprepared for the situation, you know, like part of the reason that I have a four wheel drive truck is because I don't know what might happen mm-hmm. and I need to have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also really great for moving stuff, which I have to do a lot. It's great to tow something, which, you know, is important to do. It's also big, it's safe, that kind of thing. But like, like, People seem to expect that they should be they should be cared for, and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why I don't feel that way, but do you know what I'm talking about? You can probably explain it better than I can.
0: The problem is that the people who believe they should be cared for in a crisis are often the self-same people who do not vote for uh, vote for resources to be directed to building a, uh, like a super resilient infrastructure. They're the people who vote consistently for politicians that talk about deregulation, that talk right. about mar- market-based solutions to these problems. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a huge political gulf that exists in the minds of people that cannot understand that they have to pay for these things Cannot understand that the, that this collective responsibility is something that we need to uh, we need to think about all the time, and that's partly what a national government does, but mm-hmm. it's also what a state government does. Uh, they're the ones that rail against politicians that talk about corruption that say, "I wouldn't want the government to," you know, uh, government can't even run the post office. I don't want them. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, but then you know, then there's a catastrophic failure of a bridge not even from an earthquake just because the bridge fell apart Mm -hmm. because no money was allocated to keep it up. And then everybody's been out of shape and they, and like you say, you know, they immediately switch gears and their tone goes up in the opposite direction. And they're all, they're all pissed off that their tax dollars, which they consistently try to reduce and scam and everything, uh, supposedly are supposed to magically pay for, uh, what I guess they don't understand is a very expensive and complicated system. Mm-hmm. That's what's infuriating to an infrastructure nerd because, yeah, what, I mean, you talk about what we want, um, you know, what what bridge builders and road builders and and system builders imagine, and they just have to find the money somewhere and they can't because, I mean – if you understood how many bridges in the United States are in danger of failing, mm. you would be appalled. Really. Normal bridges, regular bridges that that uh, hunt, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people drive across all the time. It's part of and they just think that it they think that God put it there and God will never let it fail and these things are coming apart at the seams and the you know the people running around trying to just not fix them but just keep them standing. Right. Are screaming. They, they've been screaming for decades. Like this bridge, you know, should not, ha- you shouldn't walk over this bridge. And, you know, and this is a major trucking thoroughfare. You couldn't get trucks into Minneapolis if this bridge went away. And, you know, and it's just teetering here. So, you know, if you think about the way the infrastructure got built, all these towns started as some little, you know, riverboat dock. Right. And over time, they they threw together ad hoc systems and then they, they built a new one over the top of it. You know, there's no American city or city anywhere in the world except for maybe Brasilia where they were able to start – they were able to plan a city around a modern electrical grid and and water grid and road network. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is – everything that gets put in some old cracked broken ass narrow gauge thing had to get taken out and you just sort of slam the other thing in there as best you can. I mean, you know, water treatment plants are a funny business because a lot of them, you know, we used to just flush our toilets and the water went right into Lake Erie. Right. And water treatment plants started to get built at, you know, there are water treatment plants where they went in out here in the West where they were able to go in and build it at least according to maybe not completely modern standards, but they understood things at least. Mm-hmm. And those systems, as long as you don't flush your wet wipes, those systems kind of cook along. You know, they, um, that that's a thing we don't notice and you sure as hell don't want it to stop working.
1: We would like to say thank you very much to Brooklinen for making this show possible. Whether you're an early bird or you like to hit the snooze button, everyone deserves sleep in ultimate comfort. And that starts with your comforter. It's true. Brooklinen can help you get your best sleep. Go check this out. They have comforters now. Beautiful, high-quality bedding of all kinds and home essentials. They work directly with manufacturers to give you a fair price so there's no middlemen. There's no markups. And their comforters come in lightweight all season and ultra warm to suit every type of sleeper and lifestyle and climate that you live in. And the temperature you set your house, they've got the right one for you. And they even have a weighted comforter option for stress relief. Have you tried one of these? They are awesome. I love those. they also offer a variety of materials. They've got an eco-friendly recycled down alternative. If you're into that, like they've thought of everything. It's great. And Brooklyn and comforters pair perfectly with their sheets. Of course, their pillows, their duvet covers, you know, there's a reason that Brooklinen has over 75,000 five-star reviews and counting. I absolutely love my Brooklinen sheets. They're the only sheets that I will use. I've been completely spoiled. And now, although I'm not traveling very much because of COVID, right? But anytime that I have had the occasion to stay somewhere else since I've gotten these sheets, I'm always like, nah, not as good as my Brooklinens. So treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Brooklinen's Comforter Collection. Go to Brooklinen. B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, and use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, and you'll get $25 off with a minimum purchase of $100. So again, that's brooklinen.com. Promo code is ROADWORK. $25 off with a minimum purchase of $100. And uh, go check them out. Love these guys. They really, really do great work uh, over there making these awesome, awesome sheets, comforters, you name it. brooklinen.com. Thanks very much to them for making this show possible.
0: But, you know, there are a lot of those systems that, I mean, there are still water mains in Washington, in Seattle that are made out of cedar. No way. I think there are uh, until very recently, but I think it's still true. There are cedar pipes and they work well enough because cedar is a very resistant wood to water and to everything. They work well enough that the. That the uh, Seattle City Light is like, or I'm sorry, you know, the water company is like, well, that ain't broke. Um, <laughs> and you know, they're not <laughs> watertight. Yeah, they're leaking all over. But you know, they're like, well, it's you could replace it with all this other stuff, but that stuff's not really watertight either. You know, there, I I went and toured this sewer treatment plant last year, and he was talking about the leakage, acceptable amounts of leakage. Mm-hmm that you know when it's like when you hear about acceptable number of insect parts right or rat your, droppings yeah, or yeah in your cornflakes right it's the same thing. it's like well this much water goes in and then this much smaller amount of water is what comes out the rest of it just sort of goes into the into the earth, back to the earth. <laughs> Uh, because, let it
1: return uh, to nature from whence it, it came
0: yeah all these pipes are <laughs> cracked everything is just you know we're just doing the best we can i love that stuff because you'd only have to zoom out a little bit to see how not just fragile it is but how amazing it is that um that there that all this is going on right under our noses and there are people whose job it is to to know, and it's like they're, they're, I mean, you see these people in hard hats and it uh, climbing up poles and you realize like, oh, they're in, they can see the matrix and <laughs> right, recognize, right. you know, when they go home at night and crack a beer and sit in front of the TV, they're high, highly aware that, um, you know, like the shipping industry here in Seattle. The weak link is there's actually an element of trucking that takes the containers from the dock next to the ship and drives them to the railhead. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a fleet of broken down trucks that aren't that you know you wouldn't drive even across town. All they do is make this basically one mile long transit. Right. They, they, because what they didn't build in the system here is some sort of way. The rail doesn't actually go out on the docks. The rail is across the street from the docks Mm -hmm. and they have to move these containers from the, from the port. Oh, just, I swear to you around the corner to the railroad yard. But this, all these truck drivers are, Immigrant drivers mm-hmm. and they live in this nether region where a lot of them are sleeping in the trucks. Right. You know, this in is little a little compartment psh- up in behind the, the thing. Well, there's not, these aren't trucks that have a compartment. Oh, really? No, these are just, these are just cab over Pete's with a reefer. They don't even have a reefer on. They're just cab over Pete's. Mm. They're not even Pete's. <laughs> and you know, this is an extremely low status driver job. And so it falls to people who have just arrived, who don't speak English, who are undocumented, uh, from around the world. And the whole thing just hangs by a thread, you know, uh, almost anything could shut it down. And then what you have is these container ships arriving, um, that have no way to get the containers off the dock. Right. And these trains sitting over across the street, you can, you know, you can see them, hear them rumbling, no way to get the containers on there. If, so, if, you know, and that there's a, and this, this system is 24 hour a day system, you know, it's running all the time while we're fast asleep. Uh, but w- you know, what would it take to, to interrupt it? Not much. Yeah. It's so wonderful to be able to look at a city and and then a region and see uh and try to imagine I guess first of all how this got built this way and it's because people have just been patching patching patch just put another patch on it and you know brilliant people doing um doing the absolutely like working their asses off to get this, but you see it and you realize it's all, it's absolutely completely interdependent, every element of it. And that's what makes it, that's the thing that actually makes it fragile is that as you saw in Texas, one thing goes down, all the demand flips over to this other thing, which can't manage it. It flips off. Yep. And there are people in a big room somewhere where they have to make a decision like, well, if we shut it down, then it all goes off. But we have to do that to preserve it so that it doesn't melt down. And that's a, you know, that's a, a big call. That's a tough call. And there are, all, there are all kinds of systems like that where it's like, well, we just have to, somebody at the, at the head of the table is like, um, well, it's all a disaster in every direction. So what, you know, what, which path is the disaster we can recover from? Right. I just think that's all great. But the, but the, the thing about it is that even if it all melts down, there are still not going to be roving bands of zombies trying to steal your daughter and your pemmican Mm -hmm. from your suburban (laughs) house that for whatever reason you, you built a machine gun nest to guard. That's, you know, that's so far down. Um, because, When those infrastructures go down, there's there are armies of people who rush into into action. You know, we had a big storm out here, and I had some electrical work Mm -hmm. that I uh that required that the power company come. Mm. And they had to run, they actually had to be there and do some function of the work connecting my house to the grid Mm -hmm. that no licensed electrician could do. This was something that the, that the power company itself had to be there. And there was a big storm and the power company just didn't come. Not only didn't they come, but they didn't, they didn't change the thing that said they were going to come. There's a certain amount of autonomy, uh, that these, that these people have where it's just like, well, you're, you're working double, triple overtime. And you've got a list of things, you've got an endless list of things that you need to go do and just get to it as fast as you can. And they just start de buck driving around. I said at one point to, to the electrician, because the, you know, when the guy finally came, he drove up in this totally killer truck and he just seemed like Han Solo, you know, <laughs> he, he hopped down out of the truck and he was like, what's <laughs> up fellas? And got in his thing. And, you know, had these killer tools and, right. And I said to the electrician, like, look at this cowboy, like, uh, he seems like he's having fun. Like how hard is this job? And the electrician, you know, didn't even look over at me. He was still watching the guy and he was like, yeah, until you, you work 95 hour weeks in the poor, in the driving rain, freezing temperatures up on a pole. And I was like, Oh, right there. These guys are, you know, they're the, they're the cowboys because they're at the top of the food chain. Right. And you know, they're all super personable and they, um, they really know what they're doing. Right. You know, he was up on the roof at one point and I was like, did you shut the power off to that at some junction box upstream? He was like, no, these are all live wire. (laughs) He's just got, you know, he's got these cables that are as big around as your wrist. Yeah. And he's just, you know, and I'm like, wow, that there's so much just, electricity in his, in his hands. Right. And, um, and it ain't no thing cause he knows, well, he knows what to do, I guess, yeah, right? You yeah. hope he does, but he knows not to touch the, <laughs> not to touch that one or that one. Right. Uh, but, but I don't know. I just really admire that work and, um, I don't know. He, yeah. And you can just trace that all the way to the trace it all the way to the you know the the mines, right? Yeah, they're yeah. Mine, they're mine and ore that keeps all this system running too. So it's pretty neat. And those of us that are, you know, that sit around and make our living writing, yeah, <laughs> right, uh, or or podcasting, yeah, you know, it's such a uh, it's such a different scale of necessity, right. I don't know. I I I, uh, I admire you for for thinking about it and thinking about how to make yourself slightly more. um, Well, plus it's an excuse to hang out with the weirdos, which I always like, but
1: you know, like I want to go and I want to see the compound and I want to meet the guy who is expecting the zombie apocalypse. And I want to learn from the survivalist who goes out with like a small backpack and survives for two weeks in, in the wilderness. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to do that, but I guarantee (laughs) you there's a ton of stuff he can teach me that I could bring back if nothing else and say, Hey, I learned this and here's how it can apply, you know, to my life right now. And because like, I don't, there's nothing really that appealing to me. Yes. Okay. I take that back. It would be very cool to know that I could be dropped into any situation and like survive. Like, but the only real plus from that would be the knowledge that I could do it. You know, like, like I know that I could, Probably deadlift two hundred and fifty pounds, but yeah. I'm not gonna do that because it I'd be sore for a week. And what's the be- what's the reason why I need to do that? I don't like that would be my top PR, right? But it's I, not- did, it, I
0: did it a couple of days ago, and my entire body hurts. <laughs> the, the thing about deadlifting two hundred and fifty pounds is that <laughs> you do it, and you're like, I did it, and then your body it's like a it's like a five second delay. <laughs> And the pain sets in yeah like your heart has to catch up with the <laughs> exertion and right. i sat there you know five ten seconds later and was like oh uh-huh whoo, whoo, whoo. yeah uh that you know that i wasn't <laughs> it, it's not like aerobic exercise no it's some other thing but it yeah it beat the shit out of me and i mean yeah that, i mean but that's uh, like right now l-
1: yeah i bet you do But like, I don't need to know that you could drop me in, you know, some rainforest with like a, you know, a pocket knife. And like a week later, I'm going to walk out with like, you know, clothes that I've, you know, sewed together from animal skins. And like, you know, like I don't need to be able to do that, but I would like to be more prepared for something that could happen. And I'm not thinking that I want to be prepared for like everything that could happen, you know, like. But the chances of an EMP going off are very, 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 very low. But the chances (laughs) of me being without power for a few days are pretty high. So, you know, and now we've seen what happens when you don't have power. So it's like, I don't want to go through that again. I want to be prepared for at least the basic stuff because the other thing is so much of the stuff that would have improved the quality of life, everyone's quality of life, it's not like doing those things were hard or expensive. They just require a little bit of thinking ahead. That's the thing. It's not <laughs> like I need to go and. Well, I've learned how to tie thirty-two knots, and now we using these knots, I'll be able to. Just, no, it's like, uh, you know, have more water in your garage. You know, like little things like that. Have a. You know, one of um one of my friends. She's like, I had no internet. I had no power. And I had no way to know what was going on in the world. She's like, I didn't have a battery operated uh, radio. You know, Hmm. and like you think that's, there's a battery operated radio on Amazon you can probably get for six bucks, Mm
2: -hmm. but you
1: don't think about getting a battery operated radio for six bucks until you're without power (laughs) and without internet and, you know, like, Everybody that I knew was like, oh, I can't, you know, they might text mean, like, I'm just checking in. We're all right here, turning off my phone to conserve. You know, if you had one of those battery chargers, I'm not talking about the little portable ones you put in your pocket when you're going to, you know, WWDC or something. I'm talking about like one of those little things that you can take with you to charge your car battery if you need it. Like if you had one of those in your garage, well, you could charge your phone probably 10 times with that, mm. you know, but like people don't have them. They cost 50 bucks or less. But you don't think about getting one. Why? Well, power's always on. I just plug it in to charge. Well, until you can't. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, that's the kind of stuff that I'm more interested in. But also kind of take learning from the people on the, the bigger scale, the people with the compound. That, because they're fascinating to me. Because it's something, yeah. there's something that happens in a person's mind that says, it's not enough to just have a battery charger in my garage. I need the compound now, or mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I need, I need 50 guns or I need, you know, I need some kind of rope ladder to get into my house. You know, like those are the people that I want to talk to. So <laughs> rope ladder, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of, that kind of, well, you can pull the ladder up and then no one can get in there.
0: Well, you know, I, I, uh, when I went and and, uh, went to the, The sewage treatment plant, I think when I was talking about it, I suggested to everybody that they just call their local sewage treatment plant. You know, there's one surprisingly close to where you are right now. Yeah. You would be surprised where it is and, and, and I think how accessible it is. Cause if you drive past it, there are all kinds of signs that say, keep out. Um, but if you call them on the phone, at least when I did it here in Seattle, Um, someone answered the phone and I said, hi, uh, can I come? And they, and they were like, sure, if you want to. Uh, and then I got a really great tour around, uh, you know, where they were, they were willing to spend a lot of time explaining what was happening and it was obvious they were proud of it. And, um, and I learned a lot and it was just like a free day of entertainment, um, that admittedly smelled like poop. Mm -hmm. So you have to either be ready to smell poop or do something to prepare yourself to be in a poop environment. Um, which I think means that you, you do that old silence of the lambs thing where you put some mentholatum under your nose, uh, right, you know, you just do something to, to be ready because it's I think a lot of people who are not super smellers like I feel like I am. Yeah. Um, could be in the, in a poop environment and not notice like the, the people that worked at the sewage treatment plant obviously smell it all the time. And I kept saying like, huh, well you really smell it right here. And they were like, really? Oh, you shouldn't smell any poop here. This is a, This isn't the area, uh, you know, this is an area that shouldn't smell like poop. And I'm like, well, it sure does. Um, so you could, I'm sure if you were at all used to strong smells, go to it and not, not smell anything. Um, but that's not true if you are, if you're a super smeller, but it's still, even being that I was able to spend several hours at this place and just be like, wow, you know, and they're opening up vats and saying like, you see how many cigarettes people flush down the toilet? You see many, and all the cigarette butts are floating
2: mm.
0: on the top. They're like, see how much, you know, just garbage people put down the toilet thinking that it magically goes away. It just disappears. And that's, what's amazing. I mean, to see, to stand and look down in the vat where they skim off the stuff that floats. Mm hmm. And you're like, whoa, somebody put that down the toilet. It's like, yeah, they sure did. And these guys, you know, they see it all. Right. (laughs) Which is a, which is a great. Oh, and also I think I said this at the time, but talking to the manager, he said, this is the greatest job in the whole system. The, the kid here, the one that's worked here, the shortest amount of time has been here 15 years. Uh, he's like, I've been here 40 years. Cool. And I would never, I couldn't ask for a better job. And I was like, whoa, you're talking about, the guys, the guys at the poop station are the ones with the most job satisfaction. Like that really (laughs) makes, you know, and they're (laughs) super proud of how, you know, of of the, the degree of processing, you know, they, they. They would, they, he, he took me down to the, to the end of the system and he took a, took a cup and showed me this, you know, clear water. And he Mm -hmm. was like, I mean, you still wouldn't put this cup to your lips Mm -hmm. and drink it, but you can put this water into a river, into the sound. And It's clean, you know, it's cleaner than the water that runs off the street. You wouldn't drink that either. Right. Uh, but this, you know, this, at least we've filtered out all the oil and all the, uh, all the heroin. I don't know. I, and, and what I haven't done, I guess, is follow up on that mission and go around and ask all the different trades to give me a tour. When I was running for office. You end up in those situations because you're going to those places and trying to get the, trying to get those, uh, trade organizations to, to recognize like, oh, this, this guy's got our back because they all are in negotiations eventually in the city or county or wherever because they're union shops. Right. And so they want to know, like, when it comes down to it, are you going to, do you recognize our importance? And so you go around, but you see them, you always see those things through the eyes of their, of their union rep or the, you know, there's always a political person on the team and they're the ones that are giving you the tour, but it's so much better to get the tour from the foreman. And especially if the foreman doesn't think that you're there as a, as somebody that's, you know, that's the man. Yeah. But I really honestly think any one of us could, could open the phone book and make three or four of those calls and have the best week of your life um, just going from thing to thing. And you're there and they say, what are you here for? Why are you doing this? Right. Just like, I don't know, man. Just wanted to see what you're all about. Mm-hmm. And I think it would help you a lot if you did that as part of your show because it would be the thing that would contextualize then the preparations you were doing. Right. Like here we've been, you know, we've been to the place where we've been to the, the um, headwaters of this system and we've been to the outflow. And now we recognize that we're in the middle of this system. And here's what we have to do kind of to play our part, but also be, be ready because you see how vulnerable you are yeah oh i love that idea i mean that's the type of thing i wish i wish somebody would you know what a great tv show remember that show dirty jobs of course you know that was like sport making sport of it throwing that guy mike rowe down into Mm -hmm. into the pit Mm -hmm. and having him shovel out the junk yeah but there's a version of that show where you're, you know, where the person that's hosting it is actually an engineer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to find an engineer with, with uh, charisma, which, whew, you know, it's like needle in a haystack. But, um, but think about that show where the, where the person giving the, you know, the person hosting the show. Is trying to explain the system rather than, or trying to have the system explained to them. Uh, Boy, I would watch that show. I would be that show. You would be. I'm just saying that's you. I mean, I guess, I guess you wouldn't want an engineer, right? Because the engineer, all engineers, see systems, and, you know, look for the internal logic of a system, and they feel like the internal logic should be self-evident to the layperson but mm-hmm. of course the internal logic of a system is usually whimsical in in engineering language where it's like oh sure well this goes to that and then all you have to do is stand here and here's the switch and you know the switch has to be here because this and that and it's between but to the layperson who's like well why isn't the switch right inside the door or you know why isn't the If this was just at shoulder height instead of head height, you'd be able to, and the engineers are like so frustrated by that because they're like, well, obviously. And that's the disconnect. You know, that's the problem between engineers and real life. That's why so many systems are so shitty. Mm -hmm. Every, every group of engineers needs a needs someone in between that understands the science and also can understand the user. I don't know what happened in the world Dan where did that <laughs> job go? Yeah. You know there's these billion dollar companies that have that are just stacking up engineers like cordwood <laughs> and yet it <laughs> seems like they don't ever think when they're interviewing these people and saying like, all right, well, if the, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Um, they're not, they never find that person that's like, right. Well, I speak Vietnamese and English and so I can help you make, you know, I can help this trade organization make a, you know, go a little bit more smoothly. We think about that in other, in other systems. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, I swear to God, Why are there not more Arabic speakers in the CIA? I have no, you've got a CIA, you've got a nation full of Arabic speakers. And there's so many people in the United States that speak Arabic, but there's a lot of suspicion of them. And so you've got, I mean, I guess the NSA probably has a lot of Arabic speakers, but it feels like, still maybe not enough the u.s army doesn't have enough considering the wars of adventure or you know or or poshtune speakers (laughs) if you're going to have wars of adventure right i would think you would before you even started the war of adventure you would collect unto oneself all the poshtune speakers you could find but that's just me you know they didn't put me in charge of the of, of these things. And, and, you know, I bet the state department had a lot of those people, but the army doesn't want to talk to the state department. You know, but when you
1: think of, when you think about what, what you were saying, well, I don't want to interrupt what, what you were saying, but it's, no, I was, I had wound down. I feel like, you know, we're a part of it is that we become, you know, we've, we, you, me, we have never been in a situation and maybe even our parents certainly our grandparents were where infrastructure wasn't without uh, barring disasters (laughs) uh, where infrastructure isn't just completely expected to work
0: all the time. Oh, my mom had an outdoor privy until she was in high school. Wow. Okay. So, you know, like there
1: one or maybe two, depending on how old you are generations removed, you know, like I'm sure that my grandparents always, because they were, they were city mice, you know, they always had running water, but I don't, I think there was many, uh, many times where maybe they were using candles and that wouldn't be weird. It wouldn't be weird to have candles going in your house.
0: Oil lamps, probably. Oil lamps for sure. But like
1: now it's like when the power goes out, it's like the end of the world, and you realize that you are, you realize just as you were saying about bridges earlier in the show, you realize how many things that you do, you're doing because power lets you do them. And that without power, those things lose a lot of their appeal. Have you ever tried to read a book by candlelight? It's possible, but it's not as good as a real light or a book light or a Kindle or an iPad, right? Like those things are much better. Uh, but you can do it by a candle, of course. You can do everything by a candle. But like the idea that, you know, that it, it requires work, it requires effort to read by a candle, especially if you're used to reading with a, a light on. Um, you know, those things are, are, I don't know, that it's just, it's interesting to think about how many things are reliant or based, maybe not reliant, but based around these conveniences that, that we have. You know, the idea of like not being able to shower, it's one thing to be lazy and not shower. I know your skin your skin eats, eats itself if you don't shower. Mm. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, what if this was John right now? Like what would happen? Would his skin eat itself if you couldn't shower for five days? <laughs> you really, there was nowhere to go where you
0: could shower. No one had water. Well, you know, I can I can shower out of a bucket. Um, and not shower, but bathe, bathe out of a bucket, uh, which is something that you. I mean, I routinely just sort of bathe in the sink because my skin will start to have a problem, and it's like oh, I don't, you know, I'm in the middle of my day. I don't have time to deal with this, so I'll just go into a sink and just you know, do um, my ablutions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, well, like you think
1: about those kinds of things when you're in a situation like that, where it's like what, you know, what how, how much of your life is based around, you know, these things that run in our household that we don't even think about. Like you were talking about with the cigarette butts. Like you don't think about that. You don't think about how these things actually get to you. You don't think about is it how full are the reservoirs and is the water pressurized and is that how again and here's the weird thing i'm at the top of this big hill like i mentioned and um you could read on next door when when the water was starting to come back if you're i was looking at next door and people in the neighborhood at the low part of the neighborhood were saying we have water it's trickling out and then people like a few blocks higher would say Now we have it. And an hour or so would go by. And then people a few blocks higher would say, we're getting a drip out of our tap again. And like, it gave me this way to predict very accurately how much longer it was going to take to get to my house. And it was right on cue. It's like, I walked over. I'm like, oh, it should be here right about now. I turned the faucet on. I sat there and watched it for a couple minutes. And then the drip started to happen. And it was like really weird. It's like the pressure was, and it took it, it took it another day before it got upstairs into the hot water heater. Um, and, and it took another day after that before it was enough that you could actually, like, take a shower or wash your hands, really. But, you know, like, you don't think about that, really. You don't really think about how interconnected all of these different systems are and all of these... It's like, look around at your environment and think about all of the things that are dependent on you just having water. I don't
0: know. Well, the, the interesting thing about living in a mountain place relative to a desert place or a, or a flat place is out here. A lot of the pressure in our water system is, is gravity based. Mm-hmm. The, the reservoirs are, are high up in the mountains mm. and the way the water works, um, as long as you, as long as where you're taking it out of the tap is lower in altitude, then where the water starts, it will find its way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The water, you know, is the system is pressurized by gravity. And um, that's why you always see water towers up on the tops of hills. Uh, and it's not to say there aren't electric pumps in the system, but there's a lot of the system. I mean, this is how New York gets its water. It was one of the things that in, inhibited the height of skyscrapers. In the early days. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason all that the 19th century buildings in New York City are just four stories tall is that the reservoirs upstate that provided New York City water were only that high above sea level. And so the water pressure could make it to the fourth floor of these buildings, but not any higher. Mm. And so you couldn't build any higher. <laughs> Uh, and it was only so when funny. they, yeah, it was only when they developed the ability to pump water that you could, that you could build buildings that were taller than four stories. I, you know, let me recommend oil lamps. Yes. Um, when I worked at, uh, at the gold mine at, in, um, Arctic circle, Alaska or circle hot springs outside of circle hot springs, all of our light Like we, none of the cabins that we lived in were connected to any kind of power system. Mm -hmm. The, the hotel had power, but I think it might've been, I mean, maybe the town had a generator, but we certainly didn't. And so we lived with oil lamps and, you know, oil lamps provide a lot of light there. It's an, it's kind of, um, it's pleasant light. You can, if you, you know, with three oil lamps, you can, you can light up a, a house just fine, you know, the downstairs of a house. And it's just sometimes, I mean, if you have them, they don't have to be old timey. You see them in people's houses that where they're a decorative element. Um, but I have, I have a little shelf that has a bunch of oil lamps on it and keep a bottle of lamp oil. And like, how how expensive was that? No, oh, you can get them at a thrift store
1: for two dollars. That's what I'm saying. And that's like that minimal amount of preparation could make a huge difference in, uh, you know, in 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 your quality of life for that time period where you're without. And yeah. it's it's like when we would have hurricanes in Florida, you would get a warning that they were going to come, and everybody who lives in Florida, or at least the people who have been there for a while, know all the things that you need to know about a hurricane. They know what you need. They know what you're going to need. They know how bad it can be. They know what it can do. They know all of that stuff. And you as a Floridian have to know the things that you're going to need. And the news hammers it into you. The whole two weeks or week plus that, you know, that the hurricane is potentially, well, it could come here, could hit here. You hear on the news, you hear everywhere. These are the things that you need and you need to go buy them and you need to have them. And this is what to expect and make sure you have it. And there's lots and lots of warnings. There's always plenty of people who are like, I don't care. I would be fine or whatever and don't do it. But there's it's impossible to not know. And, you know, in plenty of time, you know, you might not know where that hurricane's really going to hit until Really until it hits, but until hours or maybe if you're lucky a day or so before, you know, it might, is it going to hit in Fort Lauderdale? Is it going to hit Miami? You know, you there, there's a pretty big range where it could come in, but if it's tracking toward Miami, it's, it's not going to hit you in Tampa. You know, you know that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be Jacksonville if it's looking like it's going to be Fort Lauderdale. So you can, you know, you can prepare and you know pretty much what to expect. And if you want to leave, you've got time to go and leave. And you know what it's going to be. And once it hits, yeah, it might be might might be more or less damaging than you anticipated, but you've got the time to prepare. You've got the time to make decisions and choices. You know that it's coming. You make a decision as to what you're gonna do. In a situation like this, the only thing that they told us was you might get three to three to six inches of snow. Well, we've had that before, you mm-hmm. know. And and you're not expecting this cascade of failures to result from that. And I have yet to hear anyone saying, look, here are my tweets. I predicted this. Yeah, there was this thing that happened in like 2011 where they tried to come out with a better plan for what to do, but that's not the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. There was no warning. And so again, being prepared for that type of thing would make it that you're like, well, this, this sucks, you know, like we're going to have to use the water that we've stored in the garage. So hopefully it won't last more than a week. Cause that's all we've got. Uh, you know, or, oh, we're, we're going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to make sure the generator's uh, going cause we're probably going to need it. Like none of those things, none of those things. And there's no awareness. And so that's, that's the part that was frustrating. And then of course, during it, although us and I told, I talked at length about this with Merlin, um, Austin energy was doing a really good job of telling us what they were doing and how many homes were out and what they were doing to fix it and shots of their crew. And like, they were, they were really great about it. And Austin water said nothing because they're a municipality. They, for the first couple days, they said absolutely nothing. They didn't even address the fact that there was no water for almost all of central Texas. (laughs) They didn't even talk about it. And so I was, really upset about it. I'm like, give us information. And I was I was uh, you know, upset about it on Twitter. And um and so then this lady from the Wall Street Journal contacted me after seeing all my tweets. And I was, you know, saying like, "Hey, we're shoveling snow into buckets so we can flush our toilet. We really need some information, you know, here. What's going on? Should I be boiling this to save to drink? What do I need to do?" And so she interviewed me And the interview went into the wall street journal. And then Rachel Maddow read my interview on her show that night. Well, that's exciting. but Isn't that weird? Like that's the weird, but meanwhile, I didn't see it because like I'm dealing with shoveling snow. So, (laughs) but it, you know, like that's just weird to me that that kind of thing happens in the midst of all this.
0: Well, you know, the, the other, the other system that i discovered was very fragile uh last month was the social media system and the degree to which i had become reliant on right. it as not just a publicity engine for what i thought of as my career but i'd become reliant on it um, it it substituted for my friends, mm-hmm. it substituted f- for the news, it substituted for uh cult the you know, my sources of cultural criticism and political thinking. Uh I had I'd put all my eggs in one basket, right, and I thought that the system was robust, that my place in it was reliable, and that um And I didn't, I didn't realize how much it was, um, well, how, how easily it could be interrupted, how much it would reorder my life if kind of one, and, 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 and I guess the big thing was I didn't realize how one event could create a cascading series of events. Right that produced results way out of scale, you know, the thing that, that shut down the Texas power grid and, and, you know, and, and pretty soon everybody's boiling their toilet water. Mm -hmm. Um, the initial event, the, the weather was, you know, it, maybe it was a 50 year event, but it's not, it's not crazy. It's not like Texas got hit with a thing that, that had never been seen before. Right. It just got hit with a thing that was unusual or rare. Um, and that's what happened to me on on Twitter. I, You know, it was always possible. Yeah. We saw it happen all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and in a way, I, I was somebody that had a, a greater risk factor than your regular person just because I was out there swinging for the fences all the time. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that was, that my perception of, of the necessity of it, the, um, indispensability of social media meant that I was also, you know, it also became the, the locus for all my big ideas, all my swinging for the fences, all my idea of like myself as a writer or as a, as a performer. And, so, in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath, feeling like the whole of um, the whole network was down, and and there wasn't anywhere, you know. And and what's what's interesting now, reflecting back, is how much more vulnerable my system was to melting down than actually happened. Um, it only would have taken one or two more of my systems to fail uh, that I would have been completely without income. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where the power stations had actually melted down. Right. 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 And because of this, you know, because of this set of tweets that I wrote, um, I could go in the space of three days from being a, you know, a functioning artist and a middle class person to being, to having to find a new way to make a living. Yeah. Um, and with, you know, and with all of my friends, all of the network that I'd come to depend on as, um, as a thing that sustained my career and, you know, that that, that, that group of friends would have increasingly abandoned me because as the, as the system broke down, they became more and more vulnerable themselves. Now, that didn't happen because there were a couple of people in my life that, um, you know, that didn't turn off. Uh, and you know, I'm super, I'm super grateful to them, but what I've discovered in, in the aftermath is that the vulnerability of that system, uh, that, that in the, in my case, it was not catastrophic and now I've realized it isn't encompassing. It isn't even necessary and you can live outside of it comfortably and happily more comfortably and more happily, it turns out for me. Um, and that's astonishing, you know. And and if you think about the power grid breaking down and you pull out the oil lamps and you, and you thought to stockpile enough lamp oil. Right. And you realize, oh, you know what we do? We turn the lamps off at night. And we... You know, we use the lamps when we need illumination, but you don't actually that much. You don't need as much illumination as we have. And to live in a world that's slightly less illuminated all the time is actually better. Better for your mental health. It, it, it adds a level of intentionality to the things that you do. We're like, I'm walking in this room and lighting a lamp because I need a lamp now to do this next thing. Right. And so the, you know, it isn't just reflexive. It's not automatic. And you, so in my, you know, in my case, like, you know, over on, uh, on the Patreon I set up, I went to this, uh, open source platform called discourse. Ah. And there was already a, there is a group on discord where they talk about road work and Roderick on the line. Oh, look at the civilized um, discussion for your customers. Yeah. So discourse That's is open source. And Dan, what it is, is a message board from 2003. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, and it's hosted by Discord, or I'm sorry, Discourse. Mm-hmm. And you go on there and you just like set up a message board. And, you know, my Patreon had had this outpouring of support. And I put this message board, attach this message board to it, and it's already got five, 600 users and they're on there populating it with, it's just like, it's just like a message board, right? There's no, uh, it, it's a group of people that have an interest,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, like a common interest, like the long winters fans. And so, but, but of course their common interest is a set of podcasts that are, very wide ranging in interest. And so this message board has become in, in, in a matter of weeks, in a matter of a week, already a place that I want to be. And that a lot of people want to be because they're on their posting right now. Um, and after I get off the show with you, I'm going to go over and see what they've been talking about. Nice. So social media isn't necessary. It turned out to not be necessary for me. It's the, the great lie that we all felt in the entertainment business that without the ability to promote what you were doing and making on Twitter, you could not possibly have a career. Um, turns out not, uh, not to be true. And also I, I, I think that this, I think actually reverting, to the internet that existed in 2003 (laughs) might not be such a bad thing, right? It's incredible because nobody on there is yelling at each other. No, because why? Because we actually don't have any reason to yell at each other. There's once again, the kind of presumption that anybody on there is a person of goodwill, which is what we, which, what we had in the early days of the internet, right?
1: The original idea.
0: When you were, when you went on Twitter in, in 2009, the presumption was anybody on here is already pretty cool. And and we lamented it as we watched it go away. We all stood there and watched it, watched the life drain out of it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything we could do, and we all just accepted it as an inevitability. But it isn't. You can build other systems, smaller systems, uh, walled-off systems. And it turns out that walled off systems are not the death of democracy. Walled off systems are actually kind of, I mean, we, we build towns, right? We, we, um, we live in, uh, in cultural and emotional domes kind of for a reason. We live under those domes, you know? um and i think our the modern project to the modern the modern idea that living under a dome is narrow minded or living under a dome uh creates a state of ignorance that leads to bigotry mm-hmm. uh it turns out uh, maybe the opposite is true <laughs> you know maybe um maybe trying to tear down every fence just produces uh, you know a kind of border town thing is i d- i don't want to go back to being reliant on um, a, a a grid that is cutting corners and maximizing profits
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it turns out that's um, that is actually a, a a better description of social media than and and even if it isn't even if it isn't some shoddy Texas electrical board. Um, the other alternative is that it's installing itself as, as a, you know, as a global government. I don't want either of those things. I'd rather have a town hall.